I don't know if I talked to you about these, but they're no. these glasses that are hooked up to a sensor and it does neurofeedback, but instead of your computer screen fading, your glasses fade and get what? light and dark. Yeah. Oh and my it's gosh. Be a lot less expensive for people too. Wow. So you can just like read or you can do anything. You can look anything at your at own TV. Exactly. You don't have to. Oh my gosh. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Mark DeBrinkett, the Good News Doctor. And today I have a very special guest. It is a very good friend of mine and a mentor that I've had for several decades now, Dr. Guy Annunziata. So welcome, Guy. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And um, in, in many ways, you've been my mentor as well. So we've learned from each other. Well, I appreciate that. So um, Dr. Guy and I met back, gosh, over, about 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, back when we were in chiropractic school together. And I remember, you know, doing biochem class and the teacher couldn't speak really great English. And it was really hard for a lot of us to struggle. And I would do one of your board or your, your chem review classes. And in one day I'd learn half the semester and be able to ace the test and stuff. And so that spilled over into board review for all of us, you know, that had to sit all of our national boards and all of that. And then of course, all the continuing ed that you've done for over three decades now has been so appreciative. And in fact, your ability to take things and simplify them has, you know, been so amazing for me to be able to turn around and pay that forward. And so I think I've learned so much from you and how to articulate complicated matters and make them super simple and then be able to create systems and programs for them to be able to follow screenshot after screenshot. And I know how many hours and, and days and, and years you've put into developing all that stuff. So it really has not gone unnoticed and we've appreciated what you've done for the field all these years. And so I bring us back to about, I guess, 12, 13 years ago when you first developed BrainCore. And so I remember it was the end of the year. I was getting ready to retire from practicing at that time. And you got a little bug in my ear saying, hey, I'm looking for a few doctors that want to get into doing brain mapping and be able to do neurofeedback, which is how we can help reprogram the brain. And it was like, you did a map on me and then I couldn't sleep that night thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it <laughs> for several <laughs> days afterwards. I was obsessed with it. I'm like, you know what? I can't retire. I called my broker that was selling my clinic that I had somebody on the line. I'm like, you're going to hate me, but I, I got to stay in practice. I'm going to do brain stuff now. So you know, that was the beginning of something that I've always kind of been obsessed with brain health. And now you helped us kind of tone that in and find this big black hole in the practice where we never could get a certain level of healing. It's like just adjusting the body, you know, waiting for the body to heal, adjust the spine, wait for the body to heal. And now all of a sudden, hey, the brain's connected to the spine and all of that interaction is amazing. And prior to that, we didn't even know neuroplasticity existed. Now all of a sudden we can listen so intently, we can target certain areas and do a reward discipline within a hundred, hundredth of a second to really help your brain follow and learn and reprogram. So I tell patients, you know, we've been wired for success at birth, most of us, and then programmed for failure through the traumas and the things that we've gone through in our lives. And so neurofeedback has been such an amazing blessing now for thousands of patients 
of mine over these years because we've been able to get in there and reprogram some of the dysfunctional stuff that happened after traumas and, and in, in fact, grow new tissue in some of these weak areas to restore homeostasis, you know, and we bring people back to their life that they know they want to live and that they were able to live. And without the ability to tap into the brain and be able to, you know, target certain areas like we can, there's nothing that's just going to heal it, you know, by default. Okay. So when we have brain damage, we have dysregulation, we know now that there's technology that can help us kind of do the reset and that reboot. So I remember when we first started all those years ago, we were just doing a single spot, you know, right in the top center of our head. And I would have miracles take place. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it was amazing, you know, nonetheless, to have an autistic child that never spoke before, never even walked a straight line. And I remember it was so funny because he's never watched TV and can't keep his attention to do that. He just, he's all over the place. And so we put him in a, in a, in a dark room. And I remember I took two sensors with paste on him and I'm hiding in the corner in the dark. Mom brought him in and we had a cartoon playing on a TV. And also he sits there and he's looking at the TV and she looks at me like, I can't believe he's doing this. <laughs> and I sneak up and I put the sensors on it, the best of my ability, just to clip an ear and, and CZ on top. And he turns around and I hit the ground, put my head down and he looks, he doesn't see me. And he turns back, he's watching TV. I hook him up. The signal was terrible. It was, it was off the charts, you know, not in a, you know, a lot of artifacts, right? Cause it wasn't exact, but I didn't want to mess with it. He sat there for a full 20 minutes, got up, walked across my lobby and got a drink of water. Mom looked at me and a tear comes down her eyes. She's like, what did you do? And I go, well, what do you mean? She's like, he's never walked a straight line before. And so this was also a child that never spoke before. He could say T and P. T is he's hungry. P is he has to go to the bathroom. And he goes home that night. And every night his mom would sit on the bed next to him. She would do this. He would do this. And then she would say the Our Father prayer. And then he would just go to sleep. Well, that night she sat down, she did this, he did this. And then he goes, our father who art in heaven, hell be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. Good night, mommy. And then laid down. And she said, she sat there bawling for three hours. Her shirt was soaked. Her pants were soaked. And she just kept saying, I knew there was a perfect kid in there somewhere. And I can't believe you just found him for me. And she was, it was so emotional. And that was like our second month into doing this. And it was like, game on. We're going to impact the world in such a way and give people abilities back that they would never otherwise gotten. And so I have just loved neurofeedback. It's the majority part of our practice and it has been a part of my life. And and with all the mobile stuff I do, I have the ability to kind of tap into people in a way that even a lot of other doctors don't do by doing aggressive therapy where my average patient is training four hours a day. 30 days a month for a marathon. And it's exciting because we're seeing massive changes and breakthroughs in their abilities and their quality of life. So that's awesome. And I just want to thank you for creating that and staying with that and always updating things and just keeping our tribe going and, and helping change the planet. Really, we're, across the world, neurofeedback has become you know, such an amazing piece of technology that so many families are, are grateful for how much it's changed their life. So now we've come to this point that you've created another company, another program called Cerebral Core. 
And this is so exciting. And for the last several months now, we've been beta testing it with you. And, uh, you know, this has been an answer to prayers for a lot of people because now they have some software and a program and ways that they can tap in at home and do exercises to, you know, obviously impact our brain without having to do necessarily the expense of all the neurofeedback. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Cerebral Core and, and why you were passionate to start that? Well, thank you, Mark. It was a great introduction. And uh, I, um, I'm really excited about the fact that you were able to change so many people's lives. And I have to tell you, the last 13 years of my life have been extremely rewarding uh, in that not only do I see the changes that you've described with my patients, but um, part of my job with BrainCore is to do consult calls with um, our doctors. And, you know, we have over 250 offices throughout the country that are doing BrainCore. And, uh, and so every day I get to hear these stories. And it's, uh, it's so rewarding to know that we're making so many changes in so many lives. Um, but uh, but CerebroCore is a little bit different than BrainCore. Uh, BrainCore is neurofeedback. And CerebroCore isn't neurofeedback. CerebroCore is something I developed um, because my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's uh, about four years ago, five years ago. Uh, before that, we had noticed certain things, maybe for eight to 10 years prior to her actual diagnosis, that didn't seem right. You know, she would forget things that she normally wouldn't forget. And at that time, I didn't know what that was. We had taken her to the doctor. The doctor said, no, nope, she's fine, she's fine. And then all of a sudden one day, no, she's got dementia or, or um, well, they called it Alzheimer's. Now they think it's dementia. But, you know, all of a sudden one day that was there. And so I started really thinking to myself, gosh, I wonder if we could have done anything before the Alzheimer's was diagnosed. In other words, when we first started noticing those symptoms, uh, when we first started noticing the subjective uh, uh, thing descriptions that they that she was giving us, like for instance, um, you know, it, it's one thing to forget your keys, but it's another thing to forget what your keys are used for. Um, she would forget uh, to write certain dates down. She was working for me at the time, and um, and so I started thinking to myself, I wonder if there was anything we could have done. So I started doing my research, and of course, the first thing I researched was Alzheimer's, and I was looking at all the different things about Alzheimer's. And um, I was amazed to find out that uh, about a half a million people um, each year are diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, which is Alzheimer's before 65. Um, but one of the things I discovered was that uh, the data was starting to suggest that the true symptoms of Alzheimer's actually start about 20 to 30 years before the first symptoms appear. And it's also been shown that it is during that time that we can make a difference and we could perhaps either prolong the, de or delay the onset of Alzheimer's or maybe even just eliminate, eliminate it altogether. Uh, in any instance, it's during that time that we all should be concerned about optimizing our brain. We need to do things that optimize our brain because the, the stronger our brain is as we go into those later years, the better chance we have of preserving our cognitive faculties. And so um, this, this, this idea of 20 to 30 years before the first symptom started to really grow on me and I started to do more research and I found a paper uh, that was actually put out by the CDC in 2018 where uh, the name of the paper is called Subjective Cognitive Decline, a Public Health Issue. 
And um, they define subjective cognitive decline as the self-reported experience of worsening or more frequent confusion or memory loss. And they also describe it as a cognitive impairment. Now, this is exactly what my mom was experiencing in the early years and, you know, before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And the, the thing that really got me was in the paper, it actually says that this is now considered to be the earliest noticeable symptom of Alzheimer's. And the risk for mild cognitive impairment in dementia is increased in individuals that suffer with subjective cognitive decline. So it, it was like a spark went off in my head and I said, oh, that, that, that's exactly what my mom had. And now I know that there are things that we could have done back then that maybe would have delayed the onset of this or maybe even prevented it altogether. Um, so that's where the whole spark for CerebroCore came from. Um, I continued doing my research and, you know, the first question I had was, well, how do you identify this thing? You know, how do you identify subjective cognitive decline? And everything I read was basically saying that it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's something that is identified by a person complaining about worsening cognitive symptoms but yet the cognitive assessments don't show anything that would indicate Alzheimer's or dementia. So that was really what I, um, you know, was I, I, was, I was focusing on. And then I came across an article, uh, it was a research paper that identified a questionnaire that can be used to, once again, identify subjective cognitive decline, which as we've already said, is the first noticeable symptom of Alzheimer's. So uh, this questionnaire, it's 24 questions, and uh, part of that, or, or the entire questionnaire actually, we uh, created a digital version of that. So the questionnaire is something that was used in Alzheimer's research, and it was a piece of paper the person filled out. We made it into a digital version, and it's available to the general public free of charge. Um, at our CerebraCore website, CerebraCoreUSA.com, there's a, what we call a quick cog assessment, and this is a digital version of the questionnaire that is used in Alzheimer's research studies to identify subjective cognitive uh, um, disorder. So um, this subjective cognitive disorder or decline is going to be identified with this questionnaire. And when you, after you finish taking the questionnaire, it really doesn't take long to go through the 24 questions. Um, you're gonna be placed into a, into a low risk, moderate risk or high risk for subjective cognitive decline. And uh, once you know that, once you know your score, you'll actually get a score, that's the time for you to make a decision. You know, do I wanna start paying attention to my cognitive health? You know, so many of us go to the gym. I know you do, Mark, and you've been working out all your life. I work out uh, and we pay so much attention to our muscles and our joints and we wanna make sure we're strong and we just completely forget about our brain. And, uh, and, and when you've got, you know, a score showing you, hey, you need to pay attention, you know, otherwise you're, you're going to end up like my mom ended up, you know, with severe Alzheimer's and, you know, she, she still recognizes me. It's hard for me to talk about it because it's so emotional, but yeah. I know that's going to leave someday. I'm not going to be able to, you know, she's not going to be able to know who I am, but um, I don't want to go down that road because I'll start to cry. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, um, but so, so this was our first step in Cerebral was, how do we identify a condition that is a precursor to Alzheimer's? And then how do we 
address that condition so that this person can, number one, optimize their memory and perform better in day-to-day life, uh, and number two, delay the onset or maybe even prevent the onset of Alzheimer's and dementia later on in life. And we built the program around um, periodic cognitive assessments. So we want to periodically test our test individuals to make sure that the program is working, right? So we use cognitive assessments. We use uh, brain exercises, which uh, have been shown in many, many studies, and I'll share some some of them with you, um, to uh, increase brain health and decrease potential for Alzheimer's. We use gamma entrainment, which Mark, I know you're familiar with gamma entrainment, Um, You know, that's where we're using sound and light to influence the brain in a way that brings it into a, uh, what we call a gamma frequency. And we know that at gamma frequencies, people are going to have improved mental health, they're going to have improved memory and performance. So we use that, that as well. We also utilize heart rate variability training, which has been shown time and time again to be associated with increased cognition. And we also use uh, suggested lifestyle changes in the area of nutrition. We teach you about nutrition. We uh, talk about how important social interaction is. It's amazing the, uh, the, the research studies that have been done showing that people that socially interact are going to have a, less, a much less incidence of Alzheimer's and dementia. We also talk about the importance of sleep and why sleep is important. And we also educate you on physical exercise. And once again, more and more studies are showing that physical exercise, there was one study in particular where physical exercise reduced the incidence of Alzheimer's by 60% in an aged population. So um, so we utilize all of those things. We give it to you in a digital format so that it's easy to use uh, and you can use it whenever you want. You don't have to go to the doctor to use it. And um, even though we just started a few months ago, we've already gotten incredible results with it. We actually have a white paper that's out on it now. And, um, and we've got uh, people coming back to us. Mark, you were sharing with me earlier how many of your patients have actually come back to you and said, this is incredible and I yeah. feel a difference right away. Um, the one drawback to CerebroCore is that you gotta, you have to be committed to it. Just like you're committed to going to the gym, sure. you gotta do it. You can't just sign up for it and expect it to work. It's not like taking a pill. It requires you take responsibility for your own health and for your own brain health and and do the things that are required to preserve and optimize that brain health. So what's the youngest age you would say that they can start participating in these evaluations and then the exercises with cerebral core? So with regards to the subjective cognitive decline questionnaire, that is not something I would give to a child. It would be something that I would give, um, you know, 40 to 45 years old. Typically, it's a patient that comes in and they start talking and, and you know, I, I bring up the idea of memory and almost everyone at that age is like, oh, yeah, my memory's going. You know, well, yeah. that's a good person right there to take that, that subjective cognitive uh, decline questionnaire. Once you've got that questionnaire and you've got a result and you know, all right, is this person in a low category, a moderate risk category or high risk category, then you can make a determination as to whether or not they, the program would be beneficial for them. And if it is beneficial for them, then you would give them the full-blown cognitive assessment, which involves nine different assessments um, and all. But 
generally speaking, you know, we're looking um, 35 to 40, 45. That's usually where you want to really identify this. If it's too late, if it's, you know, after 65 years old, you, you're still going to be able to have a great effect, but you're not going to have as strong an effect as if you catch it early on. Uh, and that's what more and more of the studies are saying as well. The finger study said the same thing. If you catch it at the right time, you can make these lifestyle changes. You could do these exercises and, and heart rate variability training and entrainment, and you can make a difference. Now, I do want to say one other thing, Mark. Um, we are considering modifying the CerebroCore program for kids because we're seeing that, that children that are struggling with things like attention deficit disorder, um, you know, dyslexia, uh, you know, a whole host of different conditions that are unique to children, you know, or, you, or show up in children mo in the beginning, we're seeing that these exercises may be able to benefit them as well. So we're, we're working on that this year and hopefully we'll have that released in the uh, coming year. But right now we're focused on um, people that are, you know, in that above 35 age group. You know, I have had some 20 year olds that had COVID last year. And ever since they had this long haul effect on their memory, their motivation and their brain. And they yeah. started training with CerebraCore within the first week. They're like, oh my gosh, it's, I'm coming back. Like I can really yeah. see myself cognitively you know, regaining some strength here and they're very appreciative. So what are some examples of some of those questions in the subjective questionnaire? Um, so, well, first of all, let me talk about COVID brain a little bit. Um, okay. I know you've, that's what you just described is called yeah. COVID brain. COVID brain is something that uh, we don't know why it's happening. But we do know that it does happen. And my wife had it and she, you know, she suffered with COVID brain for a while. She did start doing cerebral core and it did start helping. So the question you have to ask yourself on that is, well, why would cerebral core help COVID brain? Well, you know, the main goal of cerebral core is to get you to use your neurons, right, in your brain. And the more we know, the more you use your neurons, the stronger those neurons become and the stronger the connections between the neurons become. And that's why people with COVID brain tend to respond to things like brain exercises and heart rate variability training and, and even entrainment. So um, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that, um, that, we, uh, that we can talk about with this as well, even though we're talking about this in terms of um, people having, uh, you know, um, uh, memory disorders, uh, we could also talk about it in terms of things like um, COVID brain, uh, which is, you know, something that, um, that a lot of people are suffering with right now. But to get back to your question, um, what type of questions are in the subjective cognitive uh, disorder or decline questionnaire? Is that what, you, what your question was? Correct, about? yes. Okay, so um, things like, um, you know, they find it harder to learn new telephone numbers. Um, they can't find their personal possessions. Um, sometimes when you're talking to them, about a movie, like you'll, you'll say, hey, yeah, did you see that movie and, or that TV show? They can't really describe the plot very well. Um, they tend to uh, forget doctor's appointments. Um, or if you're talking to them about something like a recent family event, they don't remember the details of that recent family, family event. Um, recent news, um, famous people's names, they have a hard time uh, placing names. So they're always thinking about what name or even sometimes what word to use. Um, 
another question was, I find it harder to start conversations, yes or no? Um, you know, things like that. Those are the things that, um, that we ask in that questionnaire. And there's 24 questions, and they're yes or no answers. That's all they are. And then based on the number of yeses and the number of noes, we can actually put you into one of those risk categories. So then do you find that that risk category correlates with their actual assessment that they're going to take their cognitive assessment? Cause I was, you know, I was pretty surprised at my score. I, I take myself as a relatively intelligent person, <laughs> pretty smart. <laughs> and I failed that hard. And I was like, does anybody get a perfect score? And does, you know, especially when they get to the nine numbers going in reverse, I mean, it was like, oh, I was just guessing about, so at the end. <laughs> you're talking about the actual assessment, assessment the interactive yeah. assessments. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What I was describing was the subjective cognitive decline right. questionnaire. So I was, was asking if that correlates with the assessment because, you know, I did not score often, above average. <laughs> very often it does. Yeah. Very often you're going to see when a person's in a high risk category for subjective cognitive decline, they usually have a tough time on their cognitive assessments. But the, the, the really unique thing about this is that those are the same cognitive assessments you would take if you went into a neurologist's office. And that neurologist would look at those scores that you probably had, and they probably would say you don't have Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, right. and, and so the point being is that those questionnaires can be negative in the eyes of a neurologist. But the reality is, is that you have some signs of, uh, of a precursor to Alzheimer's. And so the, what we use those assessments for is we use them for a number of different things. But um, one of the things we use them for is to figure out what is the right exercise based on your deficiency. So the cognitive assessments give us the deficiencies. And then based on that, we say, all right, well, these exercises right here are good for those deficiencies. Okay. Or for that deficiency. And um, typically what we do is we'll give you, we'll, we'll look at the top three cognitive assessments that you didn't do well on. And we'll, we would recommend that you do exercises for those specific areas, those, uh, those specific um, things that you're having trouble with. Uh, the cognitive assessments are also giving us a baseline, which is super important because when we have a baseline now, 30 days from now or two months from now, whatever, after you've been doing the program for a while, you could take those assessments again, and then those assessments will give you a new score, and you can compare your score to your baseline, and you can say, look That's at right. this, I'm doing better, or maybe you're not doing better. Maybe you're saying, you know, I need a little more work in that. Um, so those, those baseline assessments are really important. Um, we also know that there's certain scores on cognitive assessments where we may need to refer out for a neurological consult. So the assessments give us a whole host of really good information or a whole bunch of good, really good information that we use in a lot of different ways in the program itself. So for the listeners, when they're going through an assessment, it takes almost an hour, right? It, it takes a little bit of time and yeah. you're being challenged with different exercises and recall and memory and so forth. And you're going, you know, it gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. So it sees where you break, basically. Right. And then it also uses that information to know whatever exercises that I did pour in, those directly relate to a certain Broadman area or a certain region of your brain that you needed to access to do that exercise. So if you can't do the exercise, it means that this region right here is off the charts, either 
bombarded with signals too high or not enough signals coming fast enough. So it's just, you're not able to perform the task. And exactly. so then it says, okay, these were your three regions. In the region for this part of your brain, I'm going to give you maybe eight or 12 different exercises that you can pick from. And whichever ones you do and like doing the most, they're all going to inevitably target a certain part of your brain in order for you to perform that exercise. And so yep. just like going to the gym, the more you train those weak areas of your brain by simple engaging in specific exercises that you need to use that area, over time, the muscles get bigger and you become stronger. And so when you're using this um, subjective um, analysis to determine pre-dementia, pre-Alzheimer's, you said 20, 30 years prior, mm -hmm. that can be kind of like um, finding somebody with pre-diabetic. You know, it's like you're showing your sugar levels are off the charts. I know you still feel fine and you're not crashing and you're, you know, having symptoms yet. But if you don't do something about your blood sugar, you're going to end up having to stick yourself with insulin every time you eat for the rest of your life. So a good rubber meets the road take a good look at yourself and say, how important is it to me not to have to, in, you know, have a pump on me to help with my sugar levels. So how much more important is your cognition in your brain and being able to actually function and know who your family is, know who you are, know what it is that you like to do and what you want to do. It's like, if we don't have our faculties and our health, really what else matters? And so now we have a scan, we have a test, we have the ability to say, Hey, where do I sit in that, you know, uh, risk factor for how soon should I expect to start having some more symptoms? Or can I really start bringing strength into these areas now and probably negate ever having to go to that extent of dysregulation or damage? And so like heart disease, like any other aspect of our body, if we actively try to prevent it and do things daily to do that, your chances of ever having an incident are much more less likely. Right. And so exactly. this is awesome that now we actually have an assessment that's easy that anybody can do at home and they don't even have to go through the process of going to that neurologist, let's say, you know, unless, of course, their assessment is showing some warning signs that this is obviously beyond our scope of practice, that we need to refer this one out. Um, but I think just having something like this is helping so many people take action, make a difference in their life and helps them find that next breakthrough without the fear of having to try to find a doctor that I have to explain this all to again. And, you know, people lose so much hope going traditional routes because they're prescribed a, a chemical and sometimes there's a time and a place for it, but does that really fix the problems to, to get to the root cause of things or does it really prevent things? No, not necessarily. And so, especially when it comes to, to this field of Alzheimer's dementia and cognitive decline, I believe they haven't had a new medication that had any significant impact on that since like 1980, right? I mean, there's, it's been decades yeah. and there's, they don't have a medical approach to give you a drug to stop dementia from progressing. No. And so it, it comes back to our brains a muscle. We have to exercise that muscle <laughs> in order to not lose it. Right. And so exactly. between neurofeedback, between brain training, between now assessment and knowing which exercises I should be engaging in to get those weakest part of my brains online. What's next? I mean, we're just seeing technology advance at such great measures. How about this Elon Musk thing with his neuro implants, with these computers? Do you have anything to say 
on that topic because I see that all the time and I'm thinking, well, how does that relate to, you know, getting a brain map on that person now? Is it, can we never do that because there's a computer in there fighting our computer or, or where do we see this for dementia? Is there anything in, you know, in that space that you've heard of that we should be looking forward to or what other things do you have? have not, I have not really, I mean, I know about it, but I haven't really do- dove into it. It's, it scares me a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I, you know, I think I need to know a little bit more about it before I can start deciding how it affects, you know, neurofeedback and things like that. Now we talked a little while ago about some really new, exciting things that you have coming to the forefront right now. And, for my listeners, let me just say that doing neurofeedback now with patients and in changing their life for, I guess, over 13 years, we've always known that it's someday things are going to get simpler, easier, and more accessible to our patients. So with that, tell us what you've created and what you've been working on for this next project that we have. So um, this is actually part of Brain Core, not part of Cerebro Core. And uh, as Mark described, BrainCore is a, a neurofeedback system that, uh, that we developed back in 2008, and we've modified it every year. We're adding new things. As you, know, you have to understand, the field of neuroscience is so young, it's so infantile that it changes every single day. So we stay on top of that, and we try our best to, uh, to, to create equipment and protocols that are in line with the latest research. Uh, and over the years, Mark can testify to this, uh, BrainCore has changed tremendously from when yeah. we first started. Uh, the newest thing that we've developed, which will be coming out very soon, is a, a pair of glasses. It's, it's a pair of glasses that you wear, and then on the, uh, on the side of the glasses, there's a sensor that comes up, and it, it doesn't require any paste or anything. It, it's a, called the dry sensor, and it, it goes right to the top of the head, and it could be placed anywhere along the midline. Um, it's a single so sensor exciting. neurofeedback device, and um, it communicates with the computer wirelessly, so you're not attached to a computer. And what happens is, as your brain waves do what we want them to do, the glasses become clear, and you're able to see at the highest resolution. But when your brain waves start to become dysregulated, the glasses begin to fade, and it's a proportional fading. So it'll, it might just be a little bit fading at first, and then the further you get away from what we would like you to be doing, the darker the glasses get. So what this means is that you can actually do neurofeedback now anywhere. You don't have to be sitting in front of a computer screen. You could be reading a magazine. You could be playing a game. Um, you could be you so know, awesome. pretty much doing anything. You can go outside and enjoy the day because it does hook up to a tablet too. So you're going to be able to be pretty much mobile and do neurofeedback. Uh, we are so excited about this development because it's going to be able to bring neurofeedback to more people. And the nice thing about it too is that it's actually going to be a little less expensive. So people are going to be able to, more people are going to be able to afford to do neurofeedback. And um, it's just wow. a, a product that we are so, so excited about. It's actually called the Calm, K-A-L-M. And it's, um, it's, it's going to be really something. It's going to change neurofeedback when it comes out. And that's wireless too. So you don't like have a wire from your glasses to your tablet. It's just like you're wearing a pair of glasses. Just like you're wearing a pair of glasses. Oh, man, exactly. That's, that so with, a, with a little so sensor groovy. on your head. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Wow, technology. You know, it's like... Pretty cool. 
You know, when I was disabled, I remember my parents both telling me time and time again, just hang in there. Technology is going to advance and you're going to find that breakthrough. And, you know, there might already be things out there that you don't even know about, but you got to find it. Just don't give up. And so that's our message with today's podcast to anybody listening that either knows some loved one or somebody that you care about that's been having cognitive decline. Maybe you're talking to them and you're tell, they're telling you the same stories over and over again. Like, I just talked to you yesterday. You've already shared that with me. You know, we give a little bit of grace in the beginning, but you know what? This is an early warning sign that there's something starting to fade. Don't just chalk it up like it's no big deal. They're good most of the time. Talk to that person. Let them know that there's solutions out there that they can do in their own home that makes it so easy and simple for them to regain that cognition. And then for those that have maybe more serious neurological um, deficits from trauma, and that can be emotional stress, it can be physical stress, it could be chemical stress. All of these things alter the way our brain communicates to our body. So for those that need a little bit of extra neurological help, neurofeedback, if you haven't looked into this, it is so exciting. Watch some of our other podcasts and learn more from thegoodnewsdoctor.com about neurofeedback and from braincoreththerapy.com. And so this is such an amazing time to have all of these technologies at our fingertips. And, and there's no excuse now to live the rest of your life with less, less health, less cognition, less emotions. All of these things can be restored when we look inside ourselves and we tap into that inner healer that's changing our body every single day of our lives. So Dr. Guy, thank you so much for having the time and taking away. It's been so great to see you again. It has been a while since we've got to share stories and catch up. And I, I know. so look forward to uh, to my next chapter, actually living closer to you here soon. So That's that'll great. be a lot of fun. And I can't wait for these new glasses to come out. That's going to be outstanding. So thank you for joining us. And thank all of you for taking the time to watch the Good News Doctor podcast. You have a great day, and until next time, bye-bye. Hey, I actually have... Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I actually have one thing. Hey, the, the Dr. Gakai, uh, it's Danny DeBrankit, Dr. Mark's <laughs> son here. Hey, I just Danny. want you to know that brain core and brain training has actually helped me out a lot through the years. I, uh, I feel like it's improved my speech, and it just helps, you know, keep me calm and cool. And so I, I, I want to thank you for all that, but I'm actually curious if, you know, you have kind of like a science fiction type brain that can foresee maybe, because you say how this field changes every year. I'd be interested in like a hundred years, let's say like, <laughs> like, like, like way past our time. What can you foresee this technology evolving into? Wow. Um, that's a great, great question. And it's definitely a question I would like to ponder, but <laughs> just, just thinking about it, like off the top of my head, I think, um, we're going to see more and more, uh, ability to do it portably so that we don't have to be tied to a computer. Right. Um, we're also going to see more and more, um, ability to not use wet sensors so that everything is dry. And Mark, you already know about that. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to also see, um, and this is the part that scares me a lot, is uh, it's going to move into a metaverse. 
You know, I really think it is. And we've already started developing. Um, we have a, a guy in Canada. You know Dan Tieran? Yeah, yeah sure. I love Dan. Him and his buddy Rao. Rao is a, a computer programmer. Um, they've developed um, a program that works with BrainCore. And we actually have it up and running and working where we're doing the, uh, the using the Oculus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's pretty incredible. And I think that's where we're going to see it go. Um, now that's probably before a hundred years. That's probably like, yeah, yeah, that's that's like, like within <laughs> your lifetime, Danny, a <laughs> hundred years, it'll be a tricorder that they wave over your head and you just regrew all that brain tissue, like Star Trek. And there's no oh, need man. to actually brain train it. You know, it's instant <laughs> for you there. Open heart surgery back on the bridge in another hour. <laughs> Danny, are you a, a sci-fi uh, enthusiast do you like sci-fi you know i uh my whole life have been very interested in computers and technology and it's what i've made my career and all this but recently man i've been honestly freaked out with the whole metaverse i i've deleted all my socials and i've been trying to spend more time just outside and with people face to face i like i don't know I, I like doing things in person like dropping off checks at the bank and like delivering packages and not just having everything come to my house. Um, I think, I think COVID's taken a, it's taken a major toll on my social skills. I think as far as wanting to socialize, wanting to socialize. Yeah. yeah. yeah my, and, my daughter, my daughter's going through that right now. It's, you know, my daughter was, she was an actress when before COVID hit, you know, Mark, right. She was in yeah. all kinds of plays. She was a singer. She was fantastic. She was getting lead roles. And then COVID hit. And acting went away for two years, and she has become like an introvert. You know, yeah, she just too. sits in her room. And even now that it's done, I'm like, it's like pulling her to get her out of the room and get her to do stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're making progress, but it really, you're right, COVID has yeah. just really crushed a lot of social development for kids your age and my, my daughter's age and my son's I, age. Um, it's really yeah. sad. It really is. And you wonder, is the damage done by that, you know, worse than the damage of COVID itself, you know, because there's been a lot of damage. Yeah. You got, you got to ask yourself that. And I just feel like, um, I don't know, like, I feel like it, it's going to get so easy because if I know I'm an outdoorsy guy and I, I, I got my goals set on having a farm and all this, and I just would, I see if the metaverse became a thing like right now, how easy it would be for me just to dive in. Cause I, I'm already scrolling through my phone five hours of the day. Like I would of course love to hop in and it's probably going to be better than real life. It's going to be like, like heroin or something. It's just going to be so good. It's the matrix. It's, it's the matrix. It, it's going to be so exciting and so good that re- real life will just seem so bland. And I just do not want to fall into this trap because I don't, I don't know. know. Smart. Trying, yeah. No, you're smart. They you're want really you smart. in it. And if they want you in it bad, then you got to ask yourself that question. Why? I better not put my toe in. I'll jump although, in you, although the Facebook drop yesterday and, or two days ago in stocks, that, that might tell you something right there. Oh, yeah. I, think, I, I don't think I'm alone at all. I think it freaked out a lot of people my age and of every age that yeah. this, this isn't the way. <laughs> yeah. I read um, I read a series, a book series just recently. Um, I'm not a survivalist, but I got really hooked on this survivalist series. It's called um, the Going Home series, okay. the Going Home series. And it starts with um, 
this guy who is a survivalist and, you know, he's, he's prepared for something to happen and he's driving, he's about 200 miles away from his home and an EMP hits and all electric is done. And he has to walk home 200 miles and it just, and then when he gets there, his, you know, it just shows you what would happen to society if that ever happened. And it's the most realistic um, depiction of that, that I, I could have ever you know, dream of. I mean, it was really, really good. I, re- I highly wow. recommend it. If, if you don't want to Going read it, home? it comes on, it comes on, it's called the first book is 10 books. The first book okay. is called Going Home okay. and you could listen to it. So I listened to it a lot when I was in my car oh, um, yeah. and I was so depressed I when I got a road trip coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I, when I got to the end of the last book, I was so depressed. I was like, oh man, this was so good. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that. I was so depressed. It was so good. I, it was. I was like, I, why is it over? I'm so depressed. <laughs> I want to keep listening to it, but oh, um, great. but it, it's it's a pretty cool thing. He, and the character he develops the characters really really well. But even more than the characters, it's just the way society changes when you take all this electrical stuff out of our lives. You know, and you, you gotta send be prepared. You gotta know years. that stuff. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Do you think there'd be a way to? Is there a way to brain train without technology? Is there is there like a mental exercise that I can do on my own without a screen? Well, I think you're describing meditation, really. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's meditation. Mm. I've I I've I've never heard it like described in the way of transcending training your brain. Med- like meditation, T I yeah, meditation trains your brain for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. I mean, when we do alpha theta protocol, we're really doing like an artificial meditation. That's really what we're doing. So, mm-hmm. do but, you meditate? Do I meditate? Yeah. I used to meditate, and now I do alpha theta. So oh. I cheat. Yeah, I just hook myself up and get right into it. <laughs> Shoot, I haven't done, I mean, I do Alpha Theta on patients all the time, but I haven't done it for myself in forever. I think I'm probably past due with all the things, changes I got going on in my life right you now. Probably, so. You probably should, Mark. I think, you'll, yeah. I think you'll adapt to those changes better if yeah. your mind is in the right place. And I think Alpha Theta, for, for those of us that have done so much neurofeedback, Alpha Theta is yeah. kind of the place where we should be right now, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would recommend awesome. you do it for sure. Thanks again, Mark. Danny, good seeing you, buddy. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. It's a wrap.